the most powerful stories um, are not necessarily the most produced or overly edited or technically perfect stories. They are the ones which, you know, at the heart of them are authentic. And I think actually, particularly in today's day and age, sometimes those kind of stories actually even have an edge in engaging audiences because Mm. audiences today are so used to looking at content they really have an eye and an ear for things which have been overproduced um, and perhaps overfiltered. And sometimes those raw stories are the ones that cut through. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 207 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen and I'm passionate about bringing the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Mikey Leung and Natasha Akib. Natasha Akib is a digital producer who believes in individuals and communities being empowered to tell their own stories rather than having them told on their behalf. She created and drives the Stories for Impact workshops at Digital Storytellers and has been running workshops in Bhutan, Somalia, New Zealand, and the Australian desert. Previously, Natasha worked at one of the first non-government newspapers in Bhutan and was head editor at youth nonprofit Vibewire. Prior to joining the Digital Storytellers team, Natasha worked as a community builder at Start Some Good, where she engaged the platform's community of international change makers in both the online and offline world. And Mikey Leung gets more shit done in five years than other people do in 10 lifetimes. He attributes that to being born in the year of the horse in the Chinese zodiac, but we think he owes it to coffee. With over 15 years study in the practice of digital wizardry, Mikey has worked as a web designer, radio journalist and travel writer before finally finding his spiritual home in the moving image. When he's not behind the camera, he's out advocating for impact storytelling and helping clients kick storytelling goals. He also does a killer rendition of Hit Me Baby One More Time on guitar and vocals. Can't wait to hear that later, Mikey. So over the course of figuring out what to do in his life, Mikey published two books, including the Brad Travel Guide to Bangladesh. And he also found the Positive Light Project a crowdsourced and crowdfunded photography project and coffee table photo book that is changing the way the world sees Bangladesh. Today, he's also a proud husband and dedicated dad of two adorable boys and a co-creator of Digital Storytellers. He's also wearing another hat, serving as the coordinator for the Social Enterprise Council of New South Wales and the Australian Capital Territory. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Mikey and Natasha's experience in crafting stories that create impact we'll discuss some tips and tricks for you to improve your communication. And finally, we'll hear some updates about the Australian social enterprise ecosystem. So Mikey and Tash, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having us, Tom. Same here. It's always great to have a conversation with you both and great to be collaborating. So 
I'd love to hear a little bit more about your backgrounds and what led to your work in storytelling and social enterprise. I was going to volunteer you to kick that one off because I think my story ties into your story at a later point. So if you want to go first, that'll probably help me frame up mine. Uh, okay. All right. So I think I first got a flavor of social change when I was in Bangladesh. As you mentioned earlier, with the travel guide and the Positive Light Project, you know, a few other experiences I had there, such as meeting Dr. Muhammad Yunus, who's the Nobel Prize laureate winner for creating microcredit, and really just being inspired by Bangladeshi people who were incredibly resilient in the face mm -hmm. of so many challenges, you know, climate change, flooding, cyclone, disasters. But I actually found them really inspiring, very resilient, just alive with possibilities, if I could yeah. say that about Bangladeshi people. And they inspired me to really look closer at social change and, and what it actually means in a country like Bangladesh. Of course, I was there on a development placement, uh, working as a volunteer, but you know, I brought with me all my storytelling skills, as I said, you know, as you mentioned earlier, being a radio journalist and photography and just having a passion for telling stories. And I married these two interests to create the projects that you mentioned there. And, and really that was my formative time in, in connecting storytelling and social enterprise together. So when I moved back to Australia with my partner, who's now my lovely wife, Belinda, and, and started Digital Storytellers along with uh, this wonderful team that we've had for so many years, including Natasha. We really wanted to change the narrative, see positive narratives about the world, create those narratives, film them, tell stories, inspiring stories of people creating change in their communities that just would inspire others mm. to doing that change. And for me, the storytelling is really the key to inspiring others to, to those activities. It's being human to do that work. So five or six years on now, Digital Storytellers is about that old now, same age as my six-year-old son. I've had this wonderful team since the beginning of a group of passionate storytellers who really believe in storytelling, creating narratives for a better world. And Tash has been on that journey from the beginning. Wonderful. Tash, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. So I'll take it back a little bit far, but then I'll jump a little bit forward from that. I guess my fascination with storytelling, I realized at a later point in my life came from my upbringing and my family. My dad is Indonesian and my dad is Muslim and my mom was born in Australia. I think I was around 11 years old when September 11 happened. And I remember very distinctly, I was at this age where I was really starting to become conscious of the media, conscious of the way that the world and the community looks at you. And I started to become really conscious of the way that the media played a role in telling the story after that and telling a very negative story around my dad's community. Um, mm -hmm. And the impact, that the really tangible impact that had on the way people acted and treated each other. So I became really quite fascinated with the media, who was telling these stories, why were they telling these stories, and yeah, what kind of stories did they want to tell? So that led me to go on to then study media with the idea that uh, I would go on to work in the mainstream media and maybe be a mole kind of trying to change it from the inside out. However, I don't think I ever had the stomach to be, you know, working at a broadsheet publication or on morning television or anything like that. Mm. Um, instead, when I was at university, I wound up doing an internship at a newspaper in Bhutan, which, you know, many listeners would probably know is a country that focuses on gross national happiness and prioritizes that over gross domestic product. And so even in the media, they saw their role as facilitating gross national happiness in a new democracy. 
And they really, you know, really took that message and that mission to heart. And so coming back to Australia after that, I was absolutely inspired by what they were doing in the media over there, the discussions they were having, and uh, really started to ask these questions of how could I play a role in using the media to create a better world. Um, That's what led me to my role at Vibewire, where I was writing about social enterprises. That's what led me to my role at Start Some Good, um, the crowdfunding platform for social and environmental impact projects. And it was when I was at Start Some Good, actually, that I was seeing all these incredible organisations social enterprises, not-for-profits, community organisations, trying to raise funds on the platform for these incredible projects. But really what came down to whether those projects succeeded or not was not necessarily how capable they were of delivering the project, not necessarily their past experience in doing those kinds of projects, but really it came down to how well they could actually tell their story and in particular how well they could tell their story through video. And so then I was like, okay, video is the thing that we need to be kind of working with in this space. And so when I saw um, this really inspiring project, which was using the media for social good, um, and the person running it, I reached out to that person was like, teach me everything you know about video. Mm. Um, And that person happened to be Mikey running his positive light crowdfunding project on there. And so that was around the same time that, you know, what became the original team at Digital Storytellers were all connecting with each other. And that's what started my journey with Digital Storytellers. Wow, it's a, it's a great story. And it's great to see how, how both of you have such wonderful experience and how that sort of became intertwined and, and you know, essentially gave birth to that Digital Storytellers project. So tell us a little bit more about Digital Storytellers. Like what sort of projects are you and the team involved in? Why don't you go first, Tash? You got the best projects like nowadays. I love what you're up to. Um, So I guess to kind of continue on from where Mikey started talking about digital storytellers, um, you know, at Digital Storytellers, we're so proud and honoured that we get to work with these incredible organisations doing good things in the world and help them share their story, primarily through film, but through all these other mediums. What I observed uh, as kind of a newbie filmmaker coming into the team, that really there was a process that we went through as digital storytellers. There really were some key things that, you know, all organizations, all communities could be doing to tell their stories better better, and that these could be taught and learned. You know, if I could learn them as a newbie filmmaker and storyteller, I felt like anyone could learn them. Um, And so that's where Stories for Impact came from within digital storytellers. That's our capacity building and training arm where we uh, teach workshops and online programs and storytelling programs to organizations, communities, and individuals who want to tell their own stories using smartphones um, and basically whatever technology that they have available to them. We've really had people from all walks of life in our workshops and our training programs. The youngest person we've had in our workshops um, was eight. The oldest person was 92. And in one workshop, we even had the eight-year-old and an 88-year-old in the same workshop at a library. Um, So we've worked with teachers, scientists, rangers working on country, you know, people in social housing communities who want to connect through storytelling. So it's, yeah, it's been really incredible to see people in communities and organisations telling their own stories in a way that I probably never could as a filmmaker because they're living these stories. Wow, such a diverse range of projects. Mikey, would you like to add anything to that? What I love about Tash's, you know, as workshop program that's really facilitating other people's stories is, is it's really like how we believe we can create impact through storytelling, how 
when when people tell their own stories and it's not being told by somebody else, they have the ones with the most authentic lived experience of, um, you know, the issues that they might be facing, the challenges they face. And also in many times the, the inspiration that's created by someone who gets up and shares their story. And it's, it's not often like just about disadvantaged communities telling their story. It's really about people who have uh, overcome those challenges feel proud to share those stories, to really see themselves and, 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 you know, kind of share their identities or their cultures or, you know, what's, what's positive or, or strong about their story. That's often the kinds of things that come out from, from Tasha's uh, workshops and, and working with our, with many of our student storytellers who, you know, as Tasha's quite handily proved, they often do better stories than the, than the mentors of the supposed masters in time. So, so, I actually think Tash herself is a remarkable success story in digital storytelling with someone who's comes with not much experience, but it's literally inspiring other people around her to create change. Hey, I learned I, from the best, Mikey. Uh, <laughs> just, just an old man. Um, what I've really loved as a Canadian and, and, you know, now an Aussie a few years later, I've got my certificate, I guess you could say is I've really loved working with first nations stories. Um, you know, here in Australia, we have, uh, you know, the, the oldest human stories on the planet in this country. And sadly, we fail to see the wealth and the richness as a society inside those stories and what they, they could add to our national identity. Mm. Uh, indigenous Australians are the original storytellers. So whenever I get to go out to Aboriginal communities, I haven't for a while because Tash has been doing those opportunities. And then... Um, Whenever I, I, I meet Aboriginal people here in Sydney and hear their unique stories, when I meet artists, uh, when I meet other filmmakers, they always inspire me because first, you know, Indigenous Australians have storytelling in their blood uh, yes. and, and they're really connected to this really human, like I think storytelling is a part of being human. And, you know, my, my Indigenous brothers and sisters have the closest connection to, to what that means and how important that is. Right. And it's sort of like the farther we get away from that and the farther we get away from our original stories as humans, it seems to be the more we can dissociate from our impacts on other humans or on the planet. So it's very important to me that these stories are told, that they're celebrated, that, that um, our First Nations storytellers across the world are, are enabled with the same tools and access as everyone else to uh, to telling stories. So, so I'm very proud of of having that experience here in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And so between yourself, you've obviously seen these patterns, right, in in what makes strong, effective, great stories. And Tash, you said earlier, you know, you're essentially you you saw these patterns, and you've been leading leading that element within the d digital storytellers. So I'm keen to hear about some of the key lessons you've learned about telling these stories that create impact and what advice would you give to those listeners who could leverage storytelling to create the sort of change that they want to see in the world? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess the first thing that I would say um, that I've kind of observed in watching, you know, people in our workshops create stories um, is kind of going on from what Mikey was just talking about. I really do think that the most powerful stories um, are not necessarily the most, you know, produced or overly edited or technically perfect stories. They are the ones which, you know, at the heart of them are authentic. And with that, that means that, you know, really raw 
rough stories, you know, that may not be, you know, really finely edited or really technically perfect or produced are okay as long as they're authentic. And I think actually, particularly in today's day and age, you know, sometimes those kind of stories actually even have an edge in engaging audiences because Mm. audiences today are so used to taking in content and looking at content they really have an eye and an ear for things which have been overproduced um, and perhaps overfiltered. And sometimes those raw stories are the ones that cut through. I'm thinking in particular um, of a workshop where we had a group of young people creating stories about nature and what engages them with nature. And in that group, we had some students who were actually attending um, the Australian film and television and radio school and were incredible cinematographers and putting together these really beautiful stories. And then we had um, 14-year-old Kayla who uh, put together a story using her editing skills that she just learned and filming skills. And it was actually her story. While it was not the most, you know, technically perfect um, and, you know, visually epic story, that was the one that cut through because it was authentic and it was real. So I think that is the first thing that I would say. The second thing that I would say is um, the messenger is just as important as the message. So again, going on from what we were talking about before, you know, people who are living these stories and who own these stories, they often have, you know, the authority to tell them. Uh, As a second thought, I would really encourage people to think about the unexpected voices who could be telling stories. Um, We're so used to hearing, you know, particularly I think in the social change space, stories from the same voices, but who would you not expect to be advocating on a particular issue? Because humans, we're creatures of, you know, uh, humans, we're hardwired to respond to things that are different, things to it. You know, we're hardwired to respond um, to when, a, you know, a new voice, a different voice. So who is perhaps a hard, uh, you know, a hard sceptic who's been won over on an issue and could they be the one sharing a story? Yeah, and I, the messenger is just as important as the message. Some great points to Tash. And Mikey, I'm keen to hear from you too. Where do you feel people could typically improve in communication around social change? Hmm... That's a big question. Social change stories are asking for the audience to to look at something uncomfortable, perhaps unsavory. You know, like I, I think about domestic violence as an issue here in Australia. It's not a it's it's one that often gets swept under the carpet. So we're dealing with stigma. We're dealing with taboo. And we don't want to look at these stories sometimes because they actually require us to think about what needs to change either in our systems or in our culture or even just amongst our neighbors or amongst our mates. That's where stories need to actually empower those audience members. And, you know, I, I, I think we often tell them in a negative light. I think that's what the journalism often does with with so much of its you know pervasiveness and and um you know like the things that grab attention are often uh you know it's like it's like looking at a fire it's hard to look away and a fire is because something's burning and it's bad in social change our task is to is to show uh problems as they are but also create the the pathway to solutions so social change storytellers really need to be able to take people from one end of, of a challenge to another end of, of feeling like we can actually all play a role in, in creating uh, a change around something. And in fact, if we, if we do that, we, 
the potentials in each one of us to to drive those changes. And social change is is quite a marathon. It doesn't happen overnight. It's often generational, in fact. So when I think about those Australians and First Nations stories that I've been talking about, people are, I think they're quite apathetic to those stories as in general, maybe not amongst this listener audience, but you know, people have already kind of decided what they think they know about, about you know, Indigenous Australians. So kind of what the task is, is to really like debunk those stereotypes to create positive examples and role models that we wouldn't ordinarily expect. And that's where Tasha's point towards unheard voices or atypical stories and the novelty of those is actually where I think we can, we can really create a lot of change there. And, you know, I think of the marriage equality debate, for instance, in, in Australia, like that, that was a long time coming. There was a lot of people campaigning for years and it really takes each person who might've faced some challenge, uh, you know, whether, whether you're from the LGBTQTI plus community and you're able to talk to your parents about it and tell your story. That's one way that you, I think actually we got to the place where, you know, 60 odd percent of people were able to vote yes for that change here in Australia. That did not come overnight. That came from a lot of stories being told, a lot of campaigns being created. So it's a long, it's a long journey. I think it's that Martin Luther quote that the, the arc of history is long, and but bends in direction of justice, right? So, you know, maybe those, maybe not those exact words, but that's the kind of thing is it's, it's just keeping with the, the challenge and, and really uh, being authentic, as Tash says. And yeah, I, I think that being committed to these causes and telling positive stories as opposed to ones that just make you feel like depressed, uh, which is, which is something that maybe the nonprofit sector is traditionally used to elicit donations. We, we can do better stories than that and we can move people better than that. If I could just add one more thing to that, if that's okay. Please. Um, So, yeah, just going off what you said, Mikey, I think something really interesting you said is that, you know, we need everybody to get behind these, you know, these issues and we need everybody to be involved in creating social change. And I think that's an important thing to consider when you are sharing your story is thinking about how does this story matter to the community or how could the community or my potential audience be a part in this story? How am I creating space for them to play a role in this story? I think what I observe a lot of in the workshops is, you know, social entrepreneurs and change makers are so passionate and so busy with their heads down doing what they're doing with their incredible work that oftentimes they don't have the you know, they haven't taken the time to sit up and look up and think about, okay, how does this matter to the audience or the community that I'm trying to engage right now? And how can I tell a story in a way that involves them and makes them feel a part and that they belong to this story and can be involved in creating change? One thing I've really observed in effective storytelling is a story that involves that community and involves that audience to play a role. Yeah. Such great insights there, guys. And I really cannot wait to co-host next week the Impact Storytelling for Changemakers webinar with uh, digital storytellers and and Impact Boom co-hosting that. So for any for any of our listeners out there that'd like to join, just jump on the G- Digital Storytellers or Impact Boom Facebook pages and you'll find some more information on how to join. It'd be great to shift the conversation a little bit now towards ecosystem building and and what can we be doing to help grow this social enterprise movement 
in Australia, it's really timely given uh, the, the circumstances we find ourselves in as a globe at the moment. But I mean, just last week, digital storytellers led the National Social Enterprise Unconference, which was a digital first here in Australia, and it brought together Australia's social enterprise community. So I'm keen to hear quickly what some of the key highlights were from the event and what did you learn in putting it together? For those who are listening, this is in the, you know, the, the beginning stages of the COVID outbreak around the world. You know, you may be listening to this this week or you, you may be listening to this six months down the track. So just want to set that place and time. We've just had our economy shut down in a lot of sectors, a lot of social enterprises are facing challenges right now. The whole business community is, but particularly social enterprises that are working with disadvantaged communities or people who would normally find it hard to be in work and need a lot of the other support structures around them in order to have the dignity of, of employment. And then for us in digital storytellers, we also saw this, this change in our work. We can't leave our houses Filming has to be done very, very carefully, but we still, at this time in Australia, it's still possible to do that. We were asking ourselves, what can we do now that, that like our typical line of work has just completely been, been shut down? So we came to this question and thought that we needed to do something for the social enterprise sector. We, we, we have a lot of skills and expertise in, in you know, <laughs> different digital platforms. And we thought, okay, you know, one of my other hats here is wearing, as mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, is to be convening or coordinating for the Social Enterprise Council of New South Wales and, and uh, ACT Canberra in the state. So I was thinking about how to get the sector together. And along with the other networks across Australia who are representing all those central social enterprises creating change in Australia, we thought it'd be great to put on an event in a very short amount of time and make it also make it a participatory unconference. So for those who don't know what an unconference is, it means where the participants create the agenda and not the conveners. So to be able to welcome everybody and participating and creating like the things in the sessions that we've talked about is, is kind of like our vision for how social change kind of should be or could be in being more participatory. We feel the same way about storytelling as well. And look, I, I could say at this stage, it was a, it was a success. We had, you know, at one point over 150 people tuned in and highly engaged and, and participating in the sessions. We had many leaders across the social enterprise space and some, and some up and coming leaders take on sessions and, and facilitate and many interesting conversations that were started at the Unconference in this particular time where I would say social enterprises have a major role to play in shaping the response to the COVID crisis, in representing those who are, are at, you know, at, the, at, the, at the end of the line in terms of people who are, can access support packages, they might not have previous employment history, and if they did, it would be even harder to keep them in jobs now. So... A lot of the focus, I guess, is how these social enterprises can keep going in this current context. And the unconference was a moment in what has been a very hectic, confusing, and stressful time for many, many social entrepreneurs and the beneficiaries and people they represent to, to contemplate what will the future be. So I have not yet had time to go through all of the talks yet and, and see some of the some of the you know where the thrust of the conversation is. But I know from the session list that we as a community are thinking about what the future is together and that 
I think many of us believe that this could be a time where we could advance the social enterprise cause. So I'm very excited to see where that community goes and how we can deliver on our promise of social change at greater scale than ever possible before, because we are being called in this moment to meet the crisis. Absolutely we are, yeah. And it's, it's great to see that around Australia, these state-based networks have been forming, and many over just the last 12 months or so. So, uh, Mikey, you are coordinating or have been coordinating the Social Enterprise Council for New South Wales and Australian Capital Territory. And Tash, you're well and truly aware as well around, uh, you know, what's happening uh, within this ecosystem in Australia. So, what are your perspectives? You know, where are the updates here on, on, on from a, a state-based level, where your new membership body is at, but also nationally, where do you see us heading into the future? Hmm, that is a big question. I should be asking you that one too, Tom, because I think you also have a unique view on on where we're all headed. Look, I think the COVID crisis has thrown us all for a curve. Nobody expected such rapid and quick like change to land upon us and, and the economy in general. So for us at SECNA, for short, and our members, a lot of it is just sort of crisis and triage management and, and a lot of pivoting going on amongst the, the social enterprise communities, not just in our state, but, but across Australia. That's one of the things we heard at the UnConference. And there's a lot of, I'm very happy to say that a lot of support was announced at the UnConference. So I think for those who are listening and need, like, support in, in figuring out what to do with their businesses or how to keep their people uh, and, and keep, keep their impact mission alive, that the help is out there. And you just need to look for it and call for it. And, and hopefully within SECNA, we can get together and support one another. But we are actually being inspired by people at, in Queensland, such as yourself, Tom, but also the QSEC and, and Senvik have been already well-established in leading uh, a national charge. So um, you know, and we now see these networks popping up in the other states and we're just becoming aware of them. So I think what's most exciting is at a federal level in Australia, where the networks are starting to lead a charge of supporting one another and, and collaborating in ways that weren't possible before. And I think Tash is going to see a lot of these stories coming out now and, and from, from many different social enterprises across the country. Like if, if, I would put this question to you, Tash, is like, what would excite you about seeing a lot of these stories, like, you know, come to come to fruition or being seen by us as a social enterprise community? I think in this moment, um, there's so much innovation going on around kind of the way social enterprises work. And I think it's really a time that, you know, social enterprises and their ability to be resilient um, is really going to shine. I think last week was a really great example of being able to Everybody really pivoting and using these online tools to work together, to collaborate um, without these barriers of geography, keeping everyone apart and keeping these conversations from happening at one big national level. So that was really incredible to see. So I'm really excited to see some of those stories coming through from the community. Something that I would be really keen to see how innovation is going to happen here is particularly during this time of COVID with many of these conversations happening in the digital space and in the technology space, how digital access is going to be amplified to communities where 
it may not have existed to this level that it needs to exist now in order to participate these, in these conversations. I mean, I think that's particularly important to the social enterprise space, being that many social enterprises are working in these communities or working with these communities um, where digital access is potentially an issue. So yeah, looking forward to seeing innovations around that and the stories that come from them. It's a great point, Tash. And Mikey, look, I'll quickly chip in here and just say, let's bring on that national strategy. I think never before have we seen the practitioner-led sort of grassroots movement in Australia as strong as it is right now. And I think there's such huge potential for us to really get behind, uh, create this alliance and pull together a national strategy that has uh, the potential to, to see, you know, business as a force for good really grow within Australia and around the world. So that's certainly exciting from my lens. And look, you've both been mentioning a bunch of social enterprises. So I think it would be great to hear which ones you are both particularly inspired about that have been tackling some really important social, cultural or environmental problems. Who wants to lead? Uh so many great examples it's actually really hard to choose it's like picking the favorite child there tom it's a really hard question to answer i want to give a huge shout out to humankind enterprises led by my good friend sophie weldon they're particularly relevant to this time of digital engagement and isolation so they use digital storytelling for intergenerational connection and belonging um, and run some amazing programs around that so i think they're particularly relevant during this time and i I want to give um, uh, a shout out to all the incredible uh, Indigenous-owned art centres that are represented, in particular through the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair. I think, yet yeah, again, during this time of COVID, seeing many of those art centres, which usually rely on tourism to run and to function, seeing them pivot to online um, has been really incredible to watch through social media and things like that. And I just think they're all inspirational social enterprises because they function not only as art centres, but as community centres and daycares and all these other things in communities. And if you go on the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair website um, uh, and you want to look up some great places to get some homewares while we're all spending all this time at home and making your home look great, so there's some great art centres you can get behind and support there. <laughs> mm, yeah, the art fair is really a wonderful initiative that, has, that is powered by the purchase of Aboriginal artwork and, and craft and as an economy that really supports a lot of those artists. So that's definitely one of my favorite. I don't even think they call themselves a social enterprise, but they are. We have filmed out in those communities and they've been inspiring to see that work. I, I feel there's so many stories to shout out to of work that I'm seeing done. I mean, I'm thinking of some of my colleagues' work in SECNA. A lot of the work we do is supporting legions of social enterprises. I had the good pleasure to speak with Cindy Mitchell at Millhouse Ventures, which I guess you could say as an intermediary supporting other social enterprises through like an incubator program. But I guess I want to give my shout out to that because I think what is really required at this stage is supporting an ecosystem and a scaffolding structure that can support many more enterprises to take seed and to bear fruit. So that's really where my thinking and my focus is in terms of the system changes. And there are a lot of people who have been working in that system in, in, in different ways, but I see it gelling now, as you mentioned, Tom. So Millhouse for me and the microcosm of Canberra is one of those organizations that's doing it. And I know that Cindy has such 
a wonderful touch with with each, each of those enterprises and really supporting them, whether women-led or they come from, again, that Indigenous background. These are the kinds of initiatives that can really deliver social change that I think our society needs now, that this is the window we can drive a lot of those initiatives forward with. Yeah, absolutely. And we were very lucky at Impact Boom to have you record a wonderful interview with Cindy Mitchell. So for all our listeners, if you just jump on the search bar on Impact Boom and type in Cindy Mitchell, you'll find Mikey's interview and a lot more information about the work they're doing down there. So it's a great resource. So to finish off then, team, I'm really keen to hear about some books or resources or blogs that you'd recommend to our listeners. Hmm. I am a reformed mindfulness. I won't use the word junkie, (laughs) Uh, but I will say that there's something about the inner work that actually empowers the outer work. And I think... Brene Brown's resources in leading change have actually helped me to be a more effective change maker. So, you know, a couple of more recent titles like Dare to Lead and also her Netflix lecture, which is amazing, have just really made me feel comfortable in being, you know, the vulnerability that goes along with doing social change, of which Brene is so well known for. It just means that I can come to this space with humility and grace and you can meet all the challenges that we're facing with just patience and kindness and things that make the work that we're all doing really vital and I guess you could even say a bit spiritual and and really healthy from having done that inner work. So when it comes to my personal recommendations, I, I really point at that kind of work for helping stay sane while leading or generating social change as a social entrepreneur or as a change maker. The other thing I'd like to recommend, though, that's really helped me a lot is is the writings of Charles Eisenstein. He's a philosopher in the States, and his latest title is called Climate, A New Story. Now, he does dwell a lot on the negative things uh, within the book, but really the things that are underpinning our desire for social change, such as love and living according to your values and and respecting the planet are things that if we can touch those things within our hearts and our souls, it really creates the fuel needed to take you beyond passion in generating social change. When we start in this, we're all passionate about the changes we want to make. But I think to sustain that, you really need to search for deep wells of inner knowing to empower your journey. So I recommend those titles to people. And I love speaking from that place if I get the opportunity to, but it's not something we often talk about in social change, but you'll probably hear me covering that in in future podcasts at Impact Boom, (laughs) quite likely. Yeah, so I guess um, I'll choose one that's inward looking and one that's outward looking. So inward looking, one book that really had an impact on me was written by Sonia Renee Taylor, who is a um, fellow in a network that we're also a part of the Edmund Hillary Fellowship. And the book is The Body is Non-Apology. The reason it really resonated with me as a change maker is we're so often focused on looking out into the world at all the things that we want to change or the narratives that we want to change out there in the world. But the book really invited 
you to look internally and look at the narratives that you're telling yourself around your body, around your image, all these colonial patriarchy driven narratives that you're actually reflecting onto yourselves. And if you can't start telling yourself a different story about these things, how do you expect to undo those narratives in the world? So that one really kind of created a shift in me. I think I'd often avoided those internal stories and those internal narratives. And it's just kind of a continual work of undoing those both internally and externally as well. So yes, Sonia Renee Taylor, The Body is Not an Apology. And then Outward Facing, I think just a really practical one around storytelling and communication was given to me as a gift from a really awesome mentor, Tom Dawkins from Start Some Good. And it's made to stick uh, by Chip Heath and Dan Heath, a classic around marketing and storytelling. Just some really practical, tangible ways that you can improve your communication and storytelling. They are some great titles there. And for all our listeners, we'll stick some links through to all of those books at the bottom of the article so you can click on through and get inspired. So I think that was a great way to finish, Mikey and Tash. Thank you so much for sharing your really generous insights and time today. It's, it's always a pleasure to collaborate and I'm looking forward to this webinar that we're hosting next week and to many more great collaborations in the future. Thanks so much for looking for you. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you, Tom. Looking forward to the webinar too. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people, and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below. And remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page, and Twitter.